Hello and welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants with your host, Raphael Bender. Today I want to talk about overcoming the fear of confrontation. This is something uh, I used to struggle with a lot and uh, over a period of years I've developed or stumbled on or been shown strategies to uh, really just let go of that fear to the point where now, you know, I don't look forward to confrontation, but um, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, And I certainly don't uh, try and avoid it um, by procrastinating. (laughs) So I don't think I do anyway. Um, So I want to frame this conversation in three parts. The first is fear of confrontation. Uh, which I think holds a lot of people back. And, and the second two parts of deal, or the second and third part are around dealing with haters. Now, I think dealing with haters gets divided into two parts because there are mostly imaginary haters. And I'm talking about things like the fear of like, oh, what if someone challenges me on my prices? Or what if, you know, what if someone, you know, my clients asked me to see my certifications and they're not satisfied with the number of certifications I've got, you know, or I need this certification so that my clients will think I'm legit is another way of putting that. So the fear of imaginary haters, and then there are actual, you know, dealing with actual haters, um, which is pretty rare, uh, you know, overall, I think, um, but I've had uh, come some experience with that. Uh, so I'm going to share with you the strategies that have worked for me. Um, so to start with, the fear of confrontation. And I think with this one, you know, so this is that awkward or uncomfortable conversation that you've been avoiding maybe with a colleague or team member or boss uh, who's not pulling their weight uh, or not delivering the service that you want delivered. Maybe it's it's firing that client that you really don't enjoy working with. Um, maybe it is, you know, restructuring your schedule so you're working more sane hours and not, you know, saying no to clients when they ask you to do out-of-hours sessions when you'd rather be with your family. So these are, these are that basically disappointing people, I guess, is another way of thinking about this, how to get over your fear of disappointing people. And I think, you know, in the Pilates world, you know, we've talked about the fact that, you know, we're all really here because we're drawn to help people and we want to make people happy and we want to make people better off. And so it kind of goes against our very grain to disappoint people or to, you know, deliberately you know, tell people, no, we, you know, I can't help you, I won't help you with that. And so I think, you know, helping people is a, is a noble thing to do and that's, you know, that's why I do what I do as well. But I think there is, there's a, there's a point beyond which uh, when it comes at personal cost to yourself that is not sustainable – where it's actually not a healthy thing. And so I'm all for helping people, but it has to be sustainable for you and you have to be able to find joy 
in that as well, I think. So, you know, if, if a relationship is not bringing you joy or, you know, because uh, you feel like there's not an equal recipro- recipro- reciprocity, there's, it's not, a, a, it's not a, a, a fair exchange of value, you know, either because you're bending over backwards to see this client at, you know, hours that don't suit you or, you know, that team member's not pulling their weight or, you know, that boss isn't paying you. Um, you know, a, a reasonable amount for the, the the work and the results that you're producing. You know, where you feel like there's not an equal reciprocal relationship there. Eventually, that you know, I mean, obviously there are some <laughs> exceptions to this with children. <laughs> we, uh, our kids never re- reciprocate to the same degree that we do, and so obviously this doesn't apply to all relationships. But with, by and large, I think with work relationships, with clients, bosses, employees, colleagues, I think it should be there should be a fair exchange of value. And so with with an employer, you know, you give them results. You know, results being by and large. You know, bums on Pilates mats or Pilates reformers or whatever, and they give you money. And there are other things that you each give each other. You give them the convenience of you, you know, subbing in when needed and not calling in sick excessively often and being pleasant to work with and wearing deodorant. And, uh, you know, they give you, you know, many of those things as well, but also maybe, you know, training and mentoring and feedback and, you know, other opportunities for career advancement. So there's a reciprocal relationship. I think that that in an ideal world we have in, with every professional relationship. And so if you feel that you're not receiving equal value to what you're giving over the long haul, it's time to have one of those uncomfortable conversations. And uh, let me tell you, dear listener, that in most times in my experience, I've had a whole bunch of these. I run a business with, at the present time, we've got 28 staff, uh, our most most staff ever was 42 or 43, I think, when we had the studio. Um, you know, you get the op- – I've had the opportunity to have conversations with many employees about, you know, not performing well or not uh, treating other team members right or not treating customers right. Um, and, you know, I've let go of a dozen or more people over the years. And um, now, so I've had some experience at this and I never look forward to those conversations. And in many cases, though, I put it off for way too long. And uh, what I've learned is that the fear is almost always worse than reality. I think for me, uh, so far, the fear has always been worse than the reality. So the fear of that confrontation uh, has been, that has often held me back for years from having an honest conversation with someone on a topic, uh, when I finally did get up the courage to have that honest conversation, the conversation was, you know, in just about every case, it was very easy, it was over in about five minutes, and I immediately felt uh, more joyful and, and, and and that weight was lifted from the relationship. And, you know, a fair few of those conversations resulted in that person leaving the company. Some of them didn't. Some of them resulted in the person improving their performance. 
but either way, it was for the best for both parties. So I guess my first, you know, my first bit of advice or strategy or thing that's worked for me is to recognize that the fear of those confrontations is almost certainly an order of magnitude worse than the reality. And that the, you're, you're putting off something that could be easily, easily done. And, you know, we see this, we've all seen this if we've got kids, where, you know, the kid won't eat, you know, a piece of broccoli that's the, the size of your little fingernail. Uh, and it's like they, they'll put up this half-hour tantrum and argue with you about why they shouldn't do it. Or if they're a bit older, you know, they won't wash the dishes or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, you've just spent like two hours arguing with me about it. It would have taken you five minutes to just wash the dishes. Um, and I think, you know, we kind of laugh at our kids when we're not rolling our eyes. But we do that as adults as well. You know, like I've put off a five, I've spent two years procrastinating on a five minute conversation. Um, and I reckon you probably have too, if you've, <laughs> if you're still listening to this. <laughs> so those five minute conversations, just think of it like the piece of broccoli that is actually, once you eat it, it's not that bad. <laughs> or once you do the dishes, you know, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's over pretty quick. <laughs> the water's actually quite pleasant. The warm water's quite pleasant on your hands. Uh, and you get the satisfaction straight away of having a clean kitchen. Uh, and you'll get that same satisfaction straight away from having those uncomfortable conversations. So that's it. Five minutes, which won't be as bad as you think, and then the rest of your life will be more joyful. Plus, it's probably not going to be anywhere near as bad as you imagine. All right, so that is confrontation. All right Now, there are many other you know, tips I can give you about confrontation. I'm sure you can, you know, this won't solve all problems in the world, but I think the biggest thing for me has been the fear is worse than the reality. So just eat that broccoli. All right. Now I want to talk about dealing with imaginary haters. Now, this comes to me in the form of many questions I get from uh, people on social media, students and grads. Things like, you know, what do I say if somebody questions, challenges me on my prices? What do I, you know, what do I say if someone asks to see my certifications and I don't have, you know, XYZ certification or, you know, put another way, I need XYZ certification so my clients will, you know, uh, respect me. Um, or I can't charge that much because, you know, I'm insert reason here, you know, just a beginner, only certified in mat work, uh, you know, just teach online, don't have a brick and mortar studio, teach from home, um, you know, aren't perfect at the moves. I mean, whatever your particular internal, you know, monologue or justification is for you not charging or not putting yourself forward. Um, and, you know, the imposter syndrome manifests in many, many other ways. And we've talked about that before on this show, but I want to talk here about you know, the fear of people, you know, challenging you publicly and finally unmasking your, you know, the fact that you aren't legit. And dear listener, I think, you know, 
my experience with this has been that it's 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 not in almost all cases it's not real and if if you think about if you you know i mean we we've charged uh, very high prices for our programs and we do get people saying they can't afford it but we don't get people saying you're too expensive you're an imposter they say oh i'd love to do the program but i just can't afford to pay that much and think about it dear listener like when you buy something or when you want to buy something and then you realize that you can't afford it right so you you want to buy a new car and you're looking around at the prices and you'd really love to buy that super expensive one with all the leather seats and air conditioning but uh, it's out of your price range you know do you, you know, storm angrily up to the car salesperson and say you know your prices are too high you're ripping people off or do you just you know shrug and go huh I wish I could buy that car but I can't afford it and then you know flip the page and <laughs> look at the next car that you can afford um, you know it's not it's not a thing that people do generally is is angrily or even in any kind of confrontational way challenge people on their prices it's we're much more self-centered than that when we look at the price we we generally just think if it's something we actually want to buy it means we already trust that person you know so if if you want to buy that car if you want to buy that clothing item but you know but you or that holiday or whatever but you can't afford it, the fact that you want to buy it means that you trust the, the people who are selling it. You know, you trust that they will be able to deliver you, you know, the experience that you want, but you just can't afford to pay for it. As opposed to if you don't trust them, then you wouldn't even, you know, want the thing in the first place. So if if you have a client or a prospect who's challenging you on your prices, that's not going to happen because what they'll do is if they don't trust you, they won't be there having a conversation with you going, gee, this service is really great, but I just, you know, it's too expensive. You need to make it cheaper. What they'll be saying is this service is really great, but I can't afford it, right? They'll put it on themselves just like you do. So it's really not a thing. It's really not a thing. And, you know, the only situation where it it can occur is in more of a public situation, like on social media or something. We'll talk about that when we get to the section on real haters in a minute. So I think the you know the the fear of someone challenging on your price is just it's not a reality. It's it's just you know to to paraphrase Pulp Fiction, it's just your mind fucking with you. It's not it's not going to happen. Um, uh, it's true that people won't be able to afford you if you you know some people won't be able to afford you um, depending on your prices but they'll put it on themselves not you the next thing about certifications and i'm going to have a, a much longer conversation about certifications with adam mcatee um which will come out uh shortly or maybe already has come out <laughs> but uh this here i just want to touch on it briefly around in relation to the feeling of imposter syndrome and you know feeling like, oh, my clients need me to have XYZ certification so that they'll trust me more or that 
you know, I need XYZ certifications so that I can attract more clients or so that I can get better jobs. And I think there is a grain of truth in that when it comes to jobs, but only a grain. And I think with clients, it's just pure balderdash. Uh, you know, dear listener, you know, when have you asked your dentist to show you their certifications? When have you asked your airline pilot to show you their certifications? When have you asked someone who performed surgery on you to show you their certifications? My guess is never. If you've ever had a personal trainer at the gym or a chiropractor or some other health or fitness professional, a nutritionist, somebody who's given you, you know, health and fitness advice and guidance, have you asked to see their certifications? I bet you haven't. So now maybe some of them had them displayed on the wall. Maybe they didn't, but I bet you've never asked to see them. It's just not a thing. It's just not a thing. People don't ask to see certifications. Um, and I would also be willing to bet, or let me, let me rephrase that as, let me phrase that as a question. Uh, you know, did you ever choose a dentist based on their qualifications? Did you choose an airline pilot based on their qualifications? Did you choose a personal trainer based on their qualifications? Now, I'm sure that you prefer to go to a dentist who's been to dental school, and I'm sure that you prefer to be flown by an airline pilot who's trained as a pilot. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is, have you you know, looked at the qualifications of dentist A versus the qualifications of dentist B and compared them side by side and said, yeah, I think dentist A is a bit better qualified. I'm going to go with that person. No. As long as they're a qualified dentist, right, what do you rely on? You rely on word of mouth, okay? You, you rely on convenience. You know, who's got an appointment available today? Who's close by? Who's got, you know, park, convenient parking, Okay. Who's got a friend of yours, who's serviced a friend of yours, who's got good things to say about that practitioner, right? These are the things that decide you about when to go to a, a particular dentist, okay, or personal trainer or you know, chiropractor or whatever it might be, not, you know, which particular brand of dentistry certification they have. And that's going to be the same for your Pilates clients. Your Pilates clients don't know the difference between Bassy Pilates versus Polestar versus Stop Pilates versus whatever else. They they barely know the difference between Pilates and personal training. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you get all the time where you tell people you're a Pilates instructor, oh, yeah, I like yoga, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, people don't know the difference, and they're never going to quiz you on your certifications. So I think, again, that's that's basically a made-up you know, thing that is just your mind fucking with you. When it comes to employers, I think it is, there's a grain of truth in it, like I said. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times I see employers put uh, in job ads, you know, must have XYZ certification, not necessarily a brand of certification like, you know, BASI or anything, but, uh, you know, like must have comprehensive certification or must have, you know, 450 hour certification or whatever. And I th I think that's actually just a red herring. I think it's not it's not actually what employers are looking for. Uh, I had a great conversation with Kayla from Quiet Bodies uh, in Mississauga recently, um, which you'll find on one of the recent episodes. Um, and you know, she started out by wanting 
you know, somebody who's comprehensively certified. But then we quickly realized that actually she could train someone up to use a Cadillac in half a day. <laughs> um, and what she really wanted was someone who was aligned with her values and her uh, approach to teaching and that the, the, the certification itself, you know, the comprehensive certification as opposed to like just a MatWork certification or whatever, is very trainable. She could train that person. So I think... Uh, you know, there is a there is a the worldwide Pilates instructor shortage at present, and uh, you don't need to take job adverts at face value if they say you know must have X, Y, or Z. I think uh, for most employers, they really want somebody. They just want a warm body <laughs> in active wear, um, and you know their dream is they actually want somebody whose values aligned. You know, somebody easy to work with, who understands about customer service, who believes in the same things, the same teaching principles that the the studio espouses. You know, so like, do we, you know, in terms of you know um, the style of classes that they like to teach, is it athletic? Is it you know more uh, attention to detail, focus, etc. and that if you get those things right, if they're a match, if you're a match in those things, then the mechanics of how you teach a chair exercise, they can teach you that. And they'll be, you know, in most cases, very glad to teach you that. I know uh, many people who work at Club Pilates, probably, a, you know, six or seven people who work at Club Pilates. And I know a couple of people who've, who've owned Club Pilates franchises. And I know for a fact that even though they typically advertise, you know, must have 450-hour comprehensive certification, they will definitely take people who are a good fit for the values and philosophy of Club Pilates who only have, say, a reformer certification, and they'll train you up on the chair and the Cadillac and the spring wall. So, um, you know, it's not a deal breaker in almost every case. Okay, dear listener, so I think with the with the fear of, you know, people challenging any prices or, you know, needing more certifications, et cetera, I think, you know, basically no amount of certifications will eliminate your imposter syndrome uh, because it's inside you. And that's the whole point about imposter syndrome. So you have to find your sense of confidence within yourself. And I think that you do that by getting results for people and you just distract yourself. Uh, that's my strategy. <laughs> I just don't think about it. I think about it. I distract myself with other things. Uh, and, you know, I, I recognize over the years, just because no one's ever asked, you know, said those things to me, um, oh, your your prices are too expensive. Um, that's, that's not a thing. And even if someone said that to me, I wouldn't care. <laughs> so uh, and now that segues nicely into dealing with actual haters. All right, so actual haters would be, I think, you know, people who, you know, irate customers, uh, people hating on you on social media, people, you know, telling you you're doing Pilates wrong or, you know, trying to put you down or shame you, whether that's in person or on social media, much more likely on social media because it's much more anonymous for them on social media. So people are much less inhibited about being nasty on social media. Uh so I think the, the first thing is to distinguish between, you know, someone who actually wants the result that you deliver, but is dissatisfied with your service, right? So an, a, a, an upset customer who actually wants a resolution, they actually want, you know, 
like you to teach them and they want to get the result, but they're not happy with some aspect of the service, right? Maybe you double charge them or something like that. Versus people who just want to dump on you, right? People who don't want a result. (laughs) They don't have any particular outcome apart from telling you how bad and nasty you are. So I think, you know, when dealing with uh, customers or prospects, the first thing to do is distinguish between you know people who want the result versus people who don't want the result. When I say the result, I mean the result that you offer. You know they want to partake of your services and obtain the results that you can help them achieve, right? But they're disappointed or frustrated or upset because they perceive that you've let them down somehow. Now maybe you have let them down. Okay, maybe you did overcharge them, or maybe you did cancel the session at the last minute, or maybe you did overbook the studio that time, or, or whatever it is. So I think for those people, they're not haters, right? They are just like people with, <laughs> they've got a problem, and you, they need your help to solve the problem. So don't take it personal. Just ask them, you know, what is your outcome here? What, you know, in an ideal world, what, what would you like to have happen here? What would make this situation better for you, right? And do your best to give them that, right? Now, it's got to come, it's got to not come at the expense of you in the long term bending over backwards for that person, you know, on an ongoing basis. But if you, you know, double booked their session or overcharge them, I think it's not unreasonable for you to do a special extra session for that person or, you know, refund their pass and give them a free class or whatever, like, you know, make amends, Make it right. Fix the problem. So for those people, I think, yes, they have a legitimate concern. Uh, they want they want to participate. They want to be part of your tribe. So, you know, listen to them and solve their problem. Versus people who don't want the result, right? So if you say, if you have a, a customer who's irate or a prospect who's irate and you say, okay, so what would you ideally like to have happen here? and they don't have a good answer, right? They don't have an answer like, oh, well, I want my back to pain to go away and I don't want to pay because, you know, you've charged me double or whatever, right? If they don't have an actual outcome that they want, if it's just like, if you say, what's the problem? You know, what would you like to, what would you like to have happen here? And they just give you more whinging. Well, they don't actually want an outcome, right? So there's nothing you can do <laughs> to, to help that person. They don't want help. They just want to dump on you. Right, So that's a genuine hater. So I think the first thing is, when dealing with actual haters, distinguish between people who are actual haters versus someone who actually wants your result, but's just dissatisfied with your service. All right, so actual haters, right? So for people who are dissatisfied with your service, you just you do your best to solve the problem. For actual haters, his... Uh, what I've found now, I've had a fair bit of experience dealing with this. I mean, I've run, I've run businesses since, I've run my own businesses since 2006. Uh, I've you know, managed businesses since like 2004. So, you know, I've had quite a few irate customers in that time. And, you know, many of those occasions were, you know, we'd stuffed up, you know, we, we, we did the wrong thing, you know, not intentionally. Uh, but, you know, we double charged them or we cancelled their favourite class or we, 
overbooked their class or, you know, their favourite instructor left or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so I've had a, a, fair, a fair few in-person sort of irate, you know, conversations and also uh, late in the second half of 2022, we had a pretty significant cancel attack on our company uh, and against me, you know, personally, as well as against multiple of our instructors, resulted in four or five team members leaving the business. We lost a bunch of customers, um, you know. Uh, so, you know, there was that was a fairly significant, uh, you know, incident that went on for a couple of months. A couple of our team went on mental health leave uh, for extended periods. Um, yeah, so I've had, you know, experience of people hating on me online as well. Uh, and these were just people leaving, you know, like slightly narky comments on a thread. These were people making like long videos about how terrible I was and how terrible our company is and, uh, you know, starting petitions to, you know, uh, you know, um, bank, uh, what's, what's it called? Boycott our company. Um, you know, so, you know, actual haters. Uh, and so, you know, here's what I've realized after coming through that and reflecting and, uh, you know, coming out the other side of it and, and actually feeling much stronger and better and more calm, uh, and more more confident in in what I stand for is a few things here. So the first one is, as a general rule, no one punches down. What I mean by that is people hating on you are almost always going to be people who perceive you as being more successful in one realm or another than they are. Right? They're basically envious. Right? <laughs> They're basically envious, and that applies in in most situations. Now I'm talking more about the social media situation here. Um, not necessarily about the customer who you canceled their favorite class. Um, uh, now if that customer that you canceled their favorite class, you know, you need to distinguish, uh, do they actually still want the results? In most cases they do, right? So they're kind of pissed off that you canceled their favorite class, but they still want to do the class, right? They want to get the result. They like the way you teach Pilates. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you listen to them, you know, express their frustration and then you offer them a solution. It's like 99 times out of 100, they're like, okay, great. You know, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm happy with that. Because all I want is you to acknowledge, okay, yeah, I can see why that's frustrating and I do want you as a customer and you are important to me, right? They feel like they're not important because you canceled their favorite class, like you don't care about them. But, you know, you actually do care about them, but you just can't teach a class to two people every week. Um, so, you know, they understand that. Um, so I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person who is, you know, telling you you're doing Pilates wrong on social media or the person who is, uh, you know, bad mouth, you know, the, the customer who came once and then is bad mouthing you, you know, on the reviews or whatever, right? So people who are actually hating on you and don't want a solution, they don't want to compromise or you know, you to help them achieve their goal or anything. They just want to dump on you, right? So we're talking about those people now. Um, and so the first first realization, okay, is no one punches down as a general rule, okay? So these people are envious, right? They're just they're just acting out their envy, their, their frustration that they haven't achieved what it, whatever it is that you've achieved, whether that's like being free of back pain or having good posture or having a successful business or being happy, okay, or having friends, <laughs> Whatever it is, they're jealous and they just, you know, 
that it's a dog in the manger, right? If, if they can't enjoy it, they don't want you to enjoy it either. So that realisation really helped me because I realised actually it's not personal, right? They're just acting out their own shit. It's, it's about them. It's not about me. Um, uh, the, the second thing that I've learned is that, and that's really helped me in dealing with actual haters, is that it's basically impossible never to offend anyone. And the more, more people you, you know, more people in your kind of sphere of, of influence, the more people in your audience, as it were, on social media or, or whatever, you know, the more chance you're going to offend somebody, right? I mean, if I say pineapple belongs on pizza to my wife, I won't offend her. But if I say that to a room of 5,000 people, you know, someone's going to get upset, <laughs> Right, So the more people in your audience, the more chance you're going to offend someone, even with something that seems to you very innocuous. So if your goal is to never upset anyone ever, you'd better do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Because some people will be offended by you just being something, right? by you being a, Pil- a classical Pilates instructor, or by you not being a classical Pilates instructor. Okay, They'll be offended by your very existence if it challenges their own internal kind of belief system. So you basically the the idea that you'll never offend anyone is 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 nonsensical, right? It's just not possible. And if you're ever going to follow your dream and do what you believe to be right in the world, you must yeah, you must you know offend people. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should go out of your way to offend people. Far from it. I think it's very important to be polite and and kind where possible in the world and considerate of other people's feelings. But that's not to say that you should contort yourself into a pretzel shape to avoid offending anybody and or that you should not not pursue what you see as the right moral choice in order to not offend people. And so you know, if you never want to upset anyone, you know, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Next, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is that, you know, it kind of segues on from uh, from the first, you know, point that I, I said about, or the point that I made about, you know, it's off, it's usually it's not about you. Right? It's very rare that you've actually genuinely done something that warrants somebody attacking you, right? You know, for example, if you do teaser in quotes wrong <laughs> on social media, you know, you're not actually harming anyone, <laughs> right? So if someone gets upset about that, like that's about them, that's not about you, right? So in that, you know, because of that, I don't think you know, and, and this has been a realization that's really helped me, probably the most powerful one that's really helped me is like, I've got no obligation to pay any attention to that feedback. I'm under no obligation to even read it or, you know, so dear listener, if someone, you know, if once you've distinguished between like, okay, is this somebody who actually wants my help and genuinely has a, a criticism or a concern and they want me to resolve it for them. They actually want a resolution, right? We talked about the customer who you cancelled their favourite class, okay, who still wants to be your customer, but is just kind of pissed off that you cancelled their class. 
versus someone who doesn't actually want a result. There's nothing you could do that would make them happy. They just want to hate on you, right? So if we're talking about that person who just wants to hate on you, right, you're under no obligation to pay any attention, right? And so my strategy here is now I just like one strike and you're out. And often, sometimes zero strikes and you're out. And what I mean by that is like, you know, this is a mostly a social media thing, okay? Because people feel, like I said at the start, people feel much more free and uninhibited to attack others on social media because there's much less reality of retribution. Like if you come up to somebody in the street and start telling them horrible things, <laughs> you might get punched upside the head. <laughs> Whereas if you do it on social media, you know, there's very little that person can do in retribution. <laughs> so it's much safer for you to be nasty on social media. So hence there's more nastiness on social media. Um, so I feel under no obligation to pay any attention to those people. So I just block like literally if I start reading a comment on one of my posts and it's like I welcome, you know, genuine questions, genuine disagreements, genuine criticisms. Uh, but if I if I read a comment and I start reading it and it's just like you're an asshole or <laughs> you know nothing um, or something, um, I, I don't even read the rest of the comment. I just instantly block that person. I don't want to be part of that. Now, if someone says, hey, you know, thanks for this post. Look, I disagree with you and here's why. Like, I love having a conversation with that person. We can have a very, uh, you know, convivial conversation and we can disagree and we can still respect and like each other. Uh, so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who attack, people who attack. Um, and I'm not, in, I'm not interested in being attacked. <laughs> so I just block them straight away. Uh, and I, that even extends to people who I've unfollowed, who maybe I actually like those people and I respect them, but I just when I look at their posts, it's like it. it I don't like the way I feel because I look at them and I, they're doing, you know, maybe their business is doing really well in a time when my business is struggling, or maybe they've got amazing, I don't know whatever it is, flexibility, and I can't even touch my toes. Uh, you know, normally that sort of thing doesn't bother me. But if I just notice, like, when I'm looking at this person, I don't feel good, I just don't follow them, right? Like, why do I need to follow that person if it doesn't make me feel good? It doesn't bring me joy. Marie Kondo would uh, endorse me, you know, letting go of it. Um, so I have unfollowed a lot of people I respect who, who don't make me good or, or people who distract me <laughs> with shiny objects, right? So people have got, like, oh, the greatest new – exercise you can do or the greatest new system you can do or the greatest new sales process you can do or whatever. It's like, well, we've already got a system and I already do exercises and I don't need to keep chopping and chaining and changing and running after shiny objects. I need to keep getting better at what I already am doing. So sometimes I unfollow people just because they distract me. All right, dear listener, I hope you found that helpful. Uh, those are my thoughts on, you know, dealing with haters, dealing with confrontation, mostly it's worse, you know, almost always in my experience, It's wor the fear is worse than the reality. Often there is no reality. <laughs> You're just completely making it up, like the fear of someone challenging your new prices or clients demanding to see your certification or whatnot. Uh, and then there are people who have genuine, you know, gripes, you know, that you can resolve. If they want a resolution, I'd say like, yeah, to bend over backwards to resolve it because that's an opportunity to create a, a, a five-star customer service moment 
where that person like feels a bit aggrieved and you actually fix it and they're like, oh, that was really easy to get that fixed. That This place is awesome. I love it. <laughs> so you can actually rescue you know, victory from the jaws of defeat there um, if you genuinely listen to those people who want a solution. Now, for the boat, those people who don't want a solution, the genuine haters who just want to dump on you, uh, know that they're probably not punching down. They're probably envious of some aspect or multiple aspects of, of who you are or what you do or what you've achieved. Uh, and if your goal is to upset no one ever, well, you better do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. <laughs> uh, and that you're under no obligation to even read comments. You're under no obligation to pay attention to people. Uh, you get to choose where you direct your attention. And there is absolutely nothing wrong. I'd say there's an awful lot right with just blocking unfriending, unfollowing, uh, sending to junk, <laughs> not replying. Um, you don't even have to read the comments, right? Just I know a lot of uh, very successful, famous people who just don't read comments or they, they don't enable comments <laughs> on their posts. And it's for this reason. You're under no obligation to read those comments or to listen to those, you know, haters. All right, dear listener, I hope that helps you. Much love, and I'll see you in the next one. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.